Hello everyone and welcome to Art of Impact, a podcast where we interview some of the most accomplished and interesting entrepreneurs and professionals from around the world. I think a goal we want to achieve with this podcast is to show how nonlinear, you know, paths from university to all the way to career or ventures, how, how nonlinear these paths are and how all of these people that we're interviewing started in a similar position to where most students are right now. Uncertainty. Today on the podcast, we have Derek Fung, who is the CEO and co-founder of Drop, a mobile rewards app where consumers can earn points for everyday spending on top of their existing debit and credit cards. Drop has ranked in the top three in the App Store in both Canada and the US and currently boasts over 3 million users. Derek began his career in finance, specifically in sales and trading in Toronto and New York, and various investment banks, including Merrill Lynch and CIBC Capital Markets. Derek was also named in 2014 to the Forbes 30 under 30 list in music alongside people like Avicii, Lady Gaga and Drake. We sit down here with Derek for around a 40-minute chat and you know, talk to him about his experiences, his journey, and his insights. Yeah, so uh, the first thing we'd like to discuss uh, that we found really interesting was in high school, uh, you founded this uh, really cool product yeah. called Quality Sheet Music. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that and who built the product and yeah, what motivated um, you? Yeah. So I, I built it. <laughs> Uh, it was open sourced uh, community software called PHP Nuke. So, um, it, you know, I didn't build it from scratch, but you, you, you know, it's kind of like a WordPress, you know, or PHP BB forum type of uh, platform. And so, the idea was back then, um, believe it or not, Yahoo is one of the most popular internet destinations for search for games, and uh, Yahoo had a, uh, I mean, they still do, but uh, it was called Yahoo Groups. And uh, you can go in and you can essentially, you know, communicate with people, post photos. And uh, it was, uh, you know, the first iteration of an online community. And so I joined a Yahoo group where the owner of it had a bunch of sheet music. So it was like JPEGs, GIFs, and you just download it, print it, and play it. And I said to myself, you know, there must be a better way to to distribute this this, uh, sheet music beyond just a Yahoo group. So then I... Um, you know, I thought about different couple concepts. One was just building a site from scratch with HTML. And the second was, hey, you know, there's existing open source communities where you can just kind of plug it in. There's a forum, there's a download section. And, uh, and that's, what we, that's what I did. And so uh, bought the domain. Uh, I think that was the first ever uh, .com domain I've ever bought. I think it was like 20 bucks or something, which was for me back then, you know, good amount of money. Um, and then, uh, and then, sorry, let me just turn off my phone here. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we j- I just launched it, and then uh, I learned how to, I learned SEO. I learned how to, you know, put in code within your website to get um, better Google ranking. And, uh, you know, next thing led to another, and it just really quickly became a pretty big um, uh, destination. You know, I still meet people to, till today who, you know, when I talk about it, they're like, yeah, I used that website back in the day, which is pretty cool, which is pretty awesome, so. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool, and like, so, 
like were you uh, involved a lot with music in general back in high school because like reading yeah. up on your profile you know there's a lot of music uh, like yeah. sprinkled into yeah your I'm uh, I'm involved I've been playing since I was four years old p- uh, playing wow. piano yeah wow. uh, and then competing uh, since I was six years old at the Royal Conservatory of Music and so I learned uh, I grew up playing piano learned guitar can play you know bass guitar acoustic electric piano vocals and a little bit of drums so kind of play a bit of, of everything um, I'm involved with the faculty of music at U of T I'm on the advisory council I now officially have a, a graduate uh, scholarship as well focused on music and, and mental health so um, I've been uh, very involved you know since since leaving school my last company was in the music industry uh, drop isn't in the music industry anymore but um, you know, we're, um, I'm still very involved, yeah, very, very involved. And I co-chaired Canadian Music Week here in Canada as well in 2014, I believe. So I've been pretty involved in, uh, in the music industry. Do you feel like if you're not doing music, like at any point of time, like something is missing? Yeah, I mean, I love, uh, I just love live, live concerts, shows, playing, listening. Um, it's, a, it's been a big part, big part of uh, my upbringing and my my adult career so yeah yeah and so what I wanted to ask you about as well like you know relating to your days in high school so you studied finance and econ and business uh, administration program at U of T is that correct and so I was wondering you know how this like the venture you started in high school and scaled and your interest in music how that kind of like filtered into you know studying business at university yeah so um because then again like uh i think uh, around that time you know it was near the financial crisis as well so yeah did, did that did that affect any decisions right there because like i would imagine oh yeah it could oh yeah so um uh yeah i was in high school i was very entrepreneurial so i had a i had my first my couple websites um that i was making you know pretty good money on like you could argue close to a you know, like an like a average wage, annual salary, um, off my just my website, wow. just have a, on the advertising wow. on my website. Um, I then had an eBay business uh, where I was uh, a power seller on eBay. Um, I had what else? What do you mean power um, To to hit power seller status, you need I think um, something like two thousand transactions that have gone through your eBay account. So I've, I've sold 2,000 items on eBay. Um, and so I got, got the power seller status. Um, I was just very entrepreneurial. And then in high school, uh, you know, I really enjoyed all my business classes. So like economics, uh, business, um, didn't do too well in the science. I mean, I did okay in some of the sciences, but it was really the business courses that I really enjoyed. I also really enjoyed, I remember, um, gra- computer graphics, like graphic, graphical, graphic arts or something, I think was the name of the, the class back in uh, high school. I went, up, uh, I went up, went to York Mills Collegiate up in uh, North York for high school. So after that, I just said to myself, hey, I think this business thing is pretty cool. Uh, UT Scarborough had the co-op program, which allowed you to actually do work as well. And I think it, was, it wasn't super easy to get into. Like the co-op program itself, I think it was like 80 seven percent average to get in and so it was um yeah so uh 
you know, really aimed aimed for that one and got in. And uh, I did, I think, four co-ops, four or five co-ops. Uh, the last two, uh, I actually went out and searched for myself. Um, nice. But I uh, worked at a bunch of really cool places and graduated during the financial collapse. Although you could argue this week, as we are currently recording this, I don't know if you've been following the stock market with the coronavirus. But yeah. It's pretty pretty close, uh, not too far away, which pretty is pretty crazy. scary. But uh, that's when I graduated, and um, you know this this time versus the financial collapse is very different. Obviously, <laughs> Back yeah. then, like fun, fundamental part of the economy was falling apart, um, and so uh, you know that's when I graduated. And uh, after things really you know recuperated from the financial collapse, things were just very different. And I think even when you look at the financial industry right now, it's still very different very, very different, not as a go-to spot for, you know, new grads to go to, so. Yeah, because, like, from where we're sitting uh, in university, you know, we know, like, Angad is studying in the Rotman program, for example. You know, a lot of people still, like, look at, like, investment banking or just fi- working at financial institutions as sort of this go-to destination. So, like, was, like, after the financial crisis, like, did it change dramatically, like, how people were looking at uh, finance, like, from your circle, at least? Totally. I mean... I remember when I uh, was recruiting, the banks all had recruiting session, recruitment sessions, did the whole kind of uh, dog and pony show, but at, at the end, they didn't, either they didn't hire anyone or only hired back their summer analysts to join full time. Um, I'd say that uh, uh, after that, like it's completely changed. You know, the trading floor, for example, where I started my job, uh, the group I was in was maybe, you know, eight people. Uh, now I heard it's two, so it's, and these are traders that are now replaced with, you know, computers. Um, I'd also say that another interesting one is, for example, if you look at some of the top MBA programs in the U.S., Stanford, in the class of, uh, you know, 250 MBA grads, I believe it's now only literally under 10 will go into sales-side finance, like investment banking, like 10 out of like 200 something people. So it's completely changed. I'd say, you know, startups since then has been the really awesome, great place to, to be, whether you're starting your own company um, or joining a startup. You know, it's, it's cheaper than ever before to start a company. There's more money out there. Uh, more and more investors are backing, you know, because there's so much more money, they're backing companies earlier on. Like the, before the thought of, raising money off of a PowerPoint deck was crazy, but now a lot of, you know, second, third time entrepreneurs are, are able to do that. So it's, um, the world has really changed in the last decade. Yeah, do you think it's like better now that, you know, startups can get funded like drastically so, so early in their life cycle? It's a good and bad thing. I think you wanna, you know, you wanna promote the right, promote and reinforce the right type of things. Yeah. And I think, you know, promoting the fact that, oh, you know, anyone can raise money off a deck, I don't think is the right thing. You know, it, you want to be thoughtful about how you start your company. You know, you want to be thoughtful around the market you're going after and, and the business. And I think, you know, just having a deck does, isn't necessarily mean you're being super thoughtful. I think a lot of entrepreneurs who, you know, they, they just start, they just start doing, they start building because they believe in it so much, um, I think is more... Um, you know, for an investor, that, that's just more appealing because, hey, you know, you don't, they, they just did it. They just quit their job and did it. Um, yeah. And so I think it's a good and bad.
Um, regarding uh, the views towards, let's say, finance and tech changing, we can see that even at U of T with now the hatchery, we have various incubator programs in university that sort of uh, allow us to work over the summer and they'll fund you and uh, it's a pretty good program. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, when you uh, when you did uh, join U yeah. D Scarborough and you're working at all these really prestigious firms, yeah. did your uh, entrepreneur entrepreneurial endeavors go on hold, or were you still? Uh, I was still always on cool working on projects? stuff on the side. Like um, my first co-op was at Microsoft, and um, I remember I would commute from Scarborough to Mississauga. Um, uh, to, uh, their office was in Mississauga, and then, uh, you know, back then I had to take public transit, um, and then I eventually figured out a carpool situation, but then I, public transit, I'd have to wake up at 4 a.m., I remember, to then take, like, the TTC to Scarborough Town Center, and then take the GO bus to Yorkdale, and then get off and take another GO bus from Yorkdale to Meadowvale Road, right. which is... <laughs> So it was like a three to four hour commute, pretty much. And then I remember um, after, after work, I would go back to campus to, you know, I was involved in a bunch of like student clubs. And, and so I was involved, I was doing that. And then I also had my, I still had my businesses on the side when I was, you know, at Microsoft, for example. So throughout, um, throughout university, I was always like either thinking of businesses or like operating businesses. And, um, and so it's always, yeah, it's always been part of me in a pretty big way. And yeah, so like you're saying, you know, that, that was a big part of your uh, career in life for the entirety of undergrad from high school up until that point. So how did that, you know, channel into your decision to, you know, after graduating from UFT, you know, go out and look, look for a full-time job rather than, you know, like thinking about working on your venture full-time rather? Yeah, I mean, I didn't have a venture idea big enough yet to go full-time after school. Um, they're all side projects, and I, I mean, I wanted to. Um, and, and honestly, at one point, you know, I almost had to because I couldn't get a job. So I remember I delayed my graduation eight months. Uh, I recruited probably, I probably had uh, something like, uh, and this is gonna make me sound like an absolute failure, but uh, you know, 10 final round interviews. It was um, most of the Canadian banks, um, you know, big big uh, management consulting firms, um, close to 10 final round interviews and got uh, one offer uh, from one of the banks, but uh, not for the job I wanted. So I remember, um, I, geez, I remember saying, I remember, uh, not taking it, and it was, I think, I remember, if I remember correctly, it was, you know, pretty good salary, something like $60,000 out of school. It was, uh, uh, an asset management arm of, of a big, one of the big banks, but I wanted to work on the trading floor, and I remember getting the offer, and, uh, um, uh, you know, essentially turned it down. They're like, what? And I said, you know what? I think, uh, I don't think I'm going to take this. And they're like, what are you going to do then? And I'm like, I'm going to probably delay my graduation and try again. So, uh, yeah, this was probably December. Um, 
December, and then um, I said, you know what, I'm going to go back out in January um, and start looking again. But I had to, I had to essentially only, uh, they only allowed me, um, U of T um, only had summer internship opportunities. So not only did, it de did I delay graduation um, to look for a job, the job would be a summer intern job. Okay. So I went through the gamut again. It was all of January I recruited, and, and, here's, and here's where, you know, here's the kicker. A lot of the, it was the same recruiters, and they would see my resume again, and they'd be like, what? <laughs> and so it's now February, and uh, I saw, um, <laughs> this is, you know, blessing in disguise, because Merrill Lynch was going through all that stuff, um, they had not yet, you know, merged with Bank of America, but because they were going all that, through all that stuff, they posted late. So they posted in February, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to apply. So typically, I believe they, a big bank would see something like 2,500 applications and hire like a couple. Um, they saw probably 1,000, so you know, I was lucky. That was like a smaller pool. Um, but the other, like, the other part that was interesting is you know, they say it's not uh, what you know, it's who you know. My old boss at BNP Paribas was at Merrill Lynch before and called them up and said, hey, you gotta hire this, this guy. And so that happened, I joined Merrill Lynch, and then shortly after they collapsed, <laughs> and then, um, which is another story in itself, um, and then I spent the summer there, and then at the, uh, I'm just bad luck, um, and at the end of the summer they said, we can't hire, like, we, we've collapsed. <laughs> so they go out again to look full time again in September of 2010. And then uh, I interviewed everywhere again. Um, and I, I was lucky enough this time around to get more offers, and one of them being CIBC. Um, and I said to them, I will take this if you give me, like, I want to be a trader. And then they, they gave me an opportunity to trade uh, foreign exchange. Um, and so that's how it all started. Awesome. Yeah. And like, was it like a big relief? Like, it, was, it was crazy. But what was even cra what's even crazier is a year and eight months into it, I quit. Yeah, and started a company, and, start, and started a company. So uh, that's with no no like real full time experience. Moved back home with my parents in Scarborough. Uh, left downtown uh, with an idea, no fun, no funding. Uh, I just started in my living room, and that's how my last, my first company began. Awesome. Yeah, I, I think uh, the story behind getting your jobs is it's really inspirational. I don't think anyone would try so hard to get something like they really want. And uh, I want to know why, why exactly did you want to do trading? I think risk is, I think, one yeah. commonality between entrepreneurship yeah. Yeah. and trading. So uh, I love the risk. I love risk taking. I loved um, <clears throat> and I still I still trade today. Um, myself and I still follow the markets pretty closely. I'd say I, I just loved, um, first I think I was inspired through, I remember in high school, um, there was a, a, a stock trading simulation, uh, both high school and in university. And I was also, I was always just very fascinated about the stock market, you know, kind of figuring out how it all works and, and because it moves so fast, um, I really enjoyed that and then during university, you know, everyone talks about um, investment banking and like the capital markets. And for me, it was also, it was just always very fascinating. 
And uh, I just followed and I was, I was just, you know, all the money I made for my business endeavors, uh, I invested. I invested, I, didn't, I either went on eBay and bought stuff, bought and sold stuff, or I put the money um, into the stock market. Um, when I was, when I was tw um, probably 20 years old, I had a, I had a private banker. <laughs> I remember at one of the big banks who taught me about the markets, and I remember, was it 20, 21, 20? Yeah, that, and that was the collapse, the, the first financial collapse. And I remember freaking out. I remember selling stuff. Um, you know, knowing what I know now, if I had just held on, you know, I would have made, I would, you know, um, you know, so you learn a lot about the stock market. You know, anyone's listening right now, freaking out about the stock market, um, you know, don't sell, hold, you know, it's a long-term, you know, it's a long game. Um, but I'd say that uh, that's how I got interested. And, and uh, you know, I think that um, it's, it's just very fast-paced and very fun. Yeah, that's pretty smart that you invested your money while you were in university. Like I, like, I feel like a lot of people always think about it, but they don't know how to get started like yeah. when they're in university. Do you think like more people should start investing in university? I think like for sure. I mean, I think um, it just for, kind of forces you to follow the news as well, which is great. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, it's not really that complex. Um, you don't have to do anything too complex, just like my strategy even now is, is investing in companies I personally use and believe in. Um, you know, they say just put your money in like uh, an ETF and whatever and just leave it. And for me, I just like, you know, I believe in, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty forward thinking person and I, I believe in a lot of the companies I personally use or see myself using. So I think, uh, I don't think it's a bad thing and I don't think you need a lot of money to, especially in today's day and age when you have all these, you know, new fintech companies popping up that allow you to mess, invest in um, fractional shares of companies. Like it's, there's no excuse why you shouldn't start, you know, investing or thinking about it. Yeah. Um, regarding uh, risk, um, I'd want to know, um, so, so I read this Coda article that you'd written about like oh, yeah. 25 things I've learned by yeah. the time I turned 25. And one thing you talk about is how when you're young, you yeah. should take lots of risk. I want to know, uh, what are your yeah. views on risk, especially as they apply to young people, and what do most young people yeah. get wrong about risk? So I'm gonna use this. I'm gonna use a stock market analogy. Um, I'm gonna use a stock market analogy because I think it's actually quite relevant, right? Like, so look at your time horizon uh, as a as a human, as as a you know whether it's your working life. Let's say let's say even your working life. Let's say right now you're probably in your 20s. You're in school. Um, you retire when you're 65, uh, and uh, it's, you know, it's like 40, 45 years where there's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to happen in 45 years. And the reason why, you know, I'm not in my 20s anymore, but hey, if the stock market tanks, I have, you know, 35 years, 30-something years for it to recover. And will the stock market recover in 35 years? Probably. So same thing, like when you're young, you know, you try something, you fail. Um, what do you have to lose? And you try again and you fail, what do you have to lose? And even if each successive time is, period is like three, four years, you do it three times, that's, that's only a decade. Um, and if you do it when you're in school, 
you 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 come out and you're 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 like 30 and you're just you're laughing you're like wow I'm I'm just I'm still only 30 30 but if you wait the longer you wait the harder it gets the the more and higher the opportunity cost um the more I'd say you know um I I think you have to be a bit crazy to start companies and to just leave it all behind um, and I, I do think the older you are, the more you see, the more risk adverse you'll become, and the more you have to lose. So that's why I think taking risks early is, you know, is so critical. Like for me, for example, saw the whole stock market, like I started investing in 2007-8, freaked out, sold, you know, over a dec the, the, then the, the next decade, I just watched and I started get, getting back into the stock market. I was, I was, you know, at one point pretty, pretty burned. I was like, oh, I don't know if I'll ever invest again. But then I started dabbling, and then I started thinking more long-term, and then I started thinking um, just more, you know, more patient, being more patient. And, um, you know, this week was the largest drop in the Dow Jones since the financial crisis. And I'm, I'm sitting here, and I'm like, you know, um, looking at it very differently. I'm buying, like, you know, insurance, so like put options, but at the same time, I'm waiting for the dip. Like I'm waiting for the bottom, and I'm just gonna start buying. <laughs> and uh, I think, I think, uh, you know, I've learned, and I think as an entrepreneur, same thing. You know, my last company uh, could barely raise money. It was after a very tough market, the music industry. Um, made probably thousands of mistakes. Um, this time around, I'm probably making you know, maybe dozens of mistakes and not hundreds or thousands. And so the only way to, you know, really get to this point is to, to start early and to start learning early. Yeah, I really like this mentality. And like, did you use that mentality to sort of like quit your job and start uh, your next company, Tunisi? Um, so Tunisi, I, uh, I just, I just quit. I mean, I just kind of quit. I don't know. I don't know how else to, I mean, I wasn't really happy. Um, back then, ten uh, wow, it's been that long. Ten years ago, the trading floor was very different. You know, the environment was very different as a junior, as an analyst. Like I'm wondering, yeah, like um, did, was it everything you sort of envisioned? Like as a it, um, uh, it, it was. It was. I mean, you know, having worked in it, you know, if you've seen Wolf of Wall Street, that was kind of. I mean, that was that was in the '80s, so it wasn't like that crazy, <laughs> but. Um, it's since changed a ton since, you know, over the last decade, but um, I, it was very intense. It was very fast moving, which was all super awesome. But I remember, you know, getting people their coffee and their lunch and, you know, just asking myself, you know, is this what I want to do for the next couple of years or do I want to start a company and have, you know, more impact and take a risk? And, you know, if not now, like when? And so... Um, it was a great learning opportunity. I, I'd say, if anything, I built really thick skin and um, uh, learned to uh, learned a lot. You know, learned a lot. Um, but uh, I think ultimately, starting a company, um, you learn even more. Yeah. And like, I'm sure, like as you you know, you iterate through starting companies, like you pick up, you realize like the habits, like the bad habits you developed, like with the previous company, for example. So like one one important habit of starting up a company is like picking the right co-founders. Yes. So like I'm wondering how you went about that. Like for yeah. for Tunzi, for example, yeah. like was your co-founder your friend or did you know yeah. him before? How did that work? Yeah. So Brandon, um, I knew him in um, I knew him in in school. So I knew he was he's a smart guy. 
um, we would just start randomly talking about ideas during university and you know I was that crazy guy that would just like keep one idea per week just like one idea and just say hey what do you think about this what do you think about that what do you think about this and I remember him he'd just be like um, you know hey I, I got a job um, I gotta pay like my rent and things and I'm like hey but what about this idea what about that and <laughs> it just got to a point I think I was just so annoying that he was like, okay, fine. And, and then I like raised a little bit of money. He's like, okay, fine, I have, there's a little bit of money. I think it was like $100,000 or something. Uh, and then we won, oh, we won this uh, U of T NBTC competition. And uh, then he was like, okay, fine, I'll quit my job. And so uh, we did it for about a year and a half and then sold it um, to a company in the US that then went public that year, IPO'd. So it was pretty wild story. Um, and then with uh, Drop, uh, my brother's one of the co-founders. Uh, he was Boy. our first and first engineer at Tunzi as a co-op student. Um, he did his second co-op, um, or was it his third? Second or third co-op from Waterloo at Tunzi, and so uh, and we started in the living room. So I remember my parents would like wake up and they're like, "What is going on? <laughs> like you quit your ba you quit your six-figure Bay Street job. You're doing a co-op with this guy. You're personally paying out of your pocket for this guy's salary. Like, okay. <laughs> so that's um, that was kind of how that all started. And uh, you know, uh, he's now our CTO here at Drop, and uh, I have another co-founder who did some designs for Tunzi. Uh, I think he was uh, he, Cam Cameron is uh, never went to university, just been designing. I think I met him uh, at Tunzi. He was 17 years old and he was designing for us. And, uh, you know, he's had multiple offers to go to, you know, the big tech companies like Shopify's, but um, we all got together. Uh, I've never met him in person either. So I never met him in person. He lived in Muskoka. I said, hey, we should start a company. He showed up one day and I said, hey, great to meet you in person. Are you ready to start a company? He's like, okay. <laughs> my brother was in San Francisco. I'm like, hey, are you ready? And he's like, well, you know, if you can raise some money, you know, I'll quit my job in San Francisco and move back. And we raised a pre-seed round of 750000 bucks U.S. And uh, just got going. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's a crazy yeah. story, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, yeah. how, how is it working with your brother? Uh, on, it's on great, this yeah. Level, yeah. We're very different. Like, he's, you know, he's engineer. I'm a business person. Um, we live together for, um, we still, I mean, we still live together, um, but, uh, uh, you know, he's now kind of living between two places, but we live together for pretty much the whole duration of, of drop. So it's been four and a half years that we live together, work together. So uh, it's been good. I mean, it's important that, you know, we're very complimentary and different people. Yeah. Um, regarding co-founders, um, do you think, um, so I'm a business student and I've always uh, wondered if, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm not, let's say, technically capable to build an MVP. Um, do I need to find a technical co-founder or should I learn the skills myself and how did you do it at doing? Um, we, we believe it or not, we moonlighted at first. So we would, I would work from 6 a.m. to 6, 7 p.m. on the trading floor and then um, hop on calls with our developers in India at like midnight. <laughs> so to get started and then we quit and then uh, I, my brother, 
you know, I we needed someone to code. So like I, my brother, I we we um, because we didn't raise a lot of money, we could only afford co-op students. So um, I remember we interviewed co-op students in uh, Waterloo, and leveraged some of my my brother's friends to help build the like the first prototype. So um, uh, that's how it all kind of started. Uh, neither uh, Brandon and I could code. So Brandon now is a uh, VP and GM at Shopify. Uh, you know, manages a team of probably hundreds of people. So he's been become very successful on the product side. Um, so I'd say, like, if you don't know how to code, learning product is very important. You know, it could be an, another interesting way to add value beyond business. And uh, you know, there's courses you can take at like BrainStation or online around how to be a good product manager. And that's actually what I would do if I could do it all over again. Uh, I mean, my background is sales, like I focus on sales, but learning, like becoming a good product manager is also something that I think could be, you know, an interesting way to, to add value without uh, knowing how to code. And yeah, like one, one thing I wanted to ask you about is like right now, uh, like you're in a much different position than you were like, say, in undergrad. Like, but how do you how do you look at the future now? Like, you know, five, five years ahead. How do you how do you think about it or go about thinking about that process? Because like when you're an undergrad, I can imagine like the way you think about the future is much different, you know. How do I think about like the future for what for like, like uh, for your for yourself, not for necessarily myself. your company. Um, yeah, I'd say that. I'd say that um, one, I can't see myself doing anything else but building companies. I think um, whether, you know, whether it's, you know, myself. Um, independently building a company, um, or who knows, you know, with Drop, uh, you know, there's still a, there's still a lot to do. But if a big company says, hey, you know, love what you've done, you know, here's unlimited resources, you know, come come you know come join us and build. Um, so like whatever, wherever, however, I think company building is, you know, the only thing I'd see myself doing. Um, I've I've invest I do angel investing on the side, but. I'd say I have a lot, a lot more runway to continue to build companies. I'd say that um, knowing what I know now, uh, you know, the advice I often give to, to um, you know, newer entrepreneurs or young people is, you know, it's it's hard no matter what. You know, if I said to you, hey, go out, you know, here here's you know, thousand bucks, go build a hot dog stand business, or like, hey, go try to build the next Google, like. It's going to be hard for both. You know, there's going to be ups and downs, um, and hard in different ways. And and uh, I think you know, think big. And when I think about you know, um, if and when I were to build a, a, a company again down the road, um, not if, more of a, more of a when. And you know, I think it's got to be it's going to be something massive, big. You know, and when I say that, things like you know, space travel. Um, extending human life, um, climate change. I think um, mental health. Like these are going to be the biggest challenges of our generation of the next one or two decades. And I think um, I think we need more entrepreneurs who are going to come out and and really think and dream that big. Because if not, you know, literally, you know, it's it's not like it's literally like a like a mankind <laughs> problem where, you know, if we don't 
treat this planet and if we don't think about the world the right way, you know, will this planet exist? Will there, will there be a dark age? Will there be a world with, you know, we run out of food, run out of water? Like, I think these are the biggest problems of the next couple of decades. And I think um, it'll be very important for uh, entrepreneurs, whether you're a first-time entrepreneur or a second, third-time entrepreneur, to, to go that big. Because without that, you know, big thinking, you know, it, it leaves our, the next generations in a very tough spot. So I think, um, you know, that's how I've been thinking about it's things. It's a really cool way to think about yeah. it because, like, for entrepreneurs who aren't, are not entrepreneurs yet, you know, they need to think about, you know, they need to acknowledge that, okay, this field might be saturated, but they need to also realize that, like, what I do in this field, like climate change or mental health, like, is going to can have the opportunity to shape that yeah. field for, for the long run. And, like, it's a mankind issue, like you said. Yeah, totally. And um, regarding solving yeah. hard problems, um, and even at Drop, I'm sure um, you've, you've probably had to work yeah. extremely hard. Um, I'd want to know what are your views on work-life balance, because uh, I was recently reading this tweet storm by the Shopify yeah. CEO who was talking about how he gets home to work by 5.30, how, he's, how he rarely works over yeah. 40 hours a week. Um, and so I'd want to know what are your views yeah, on Yeah, I think about. that's BS, what he's saying. Um, I think it's bullshit. If you ask him, hey, how, how did you spend your first five years, eight years? Um, you know, of course you're, you're, you're a billionaire and um, you have a team of 5,000 people now. Of course you can go home at 5 p.m. Um, and I recently spoke about this at uh, Tectio in City Hall. I, you know, um, you know, my final kind of closing statement um, and view on this is, um, and just entrepreneurship is, you know, no, I, the quote I often use um, is, "No one, no one is coming to save you." Um, and that quote com comes from uh, from war, from like the Navy SEALs. You know, when you're in battle. No one's coming to save you. Like you're, you're on your own. You're in the trenches. Um, there's no backup coming for you. No one's gonna tell you what to do. No one's gonna tell you to get out, of the, get the hell out of there when you're surrounded by the enemy forces. And like, no. One. And I think this is where there's too much noise out there. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of just clickbaity stuff. And I think that what he, what he said is clickbait, because you know, you then read. Uh, another article which says Elon Musk is sleeping on the factory floor every night and has not taken vacation, which is also kind of BS. Is you know like take I'm like take vacation, um, and so I my words of wisdom is do what you got to do. Like just if you got to pull an all nighter, pull an all, pull an all nighter. If you're stressed out and need a day off, take a day off. You know it's a marathon. Uh, you know, there's also articles like, oh, successful people wake up at 4 a.m. And there's all, also other articles that say, you know, uh, the most, you know, the best entrepreneurs are night owls and wake up late. There's just a lot of just noise out there. And I think um, do what you got to do and no one's coming to save you. You know, your startup is 100% your responsibility. That's what makes it the hardest, you know, um, but also most fulfilling, but, you know, the hardest job. And also, I think the most loneliest job because no one's going to tell you what to do. There's no playbook. Um, if you succeed, you know it's it's um, it's a team effort. But if you fail, it's your fault. So, um, you know, I think at the at the end of the day, and and, and I'm exaggerating a little bit here, but I think um, I think it's important for everyone to recognize that 
um, you know, it's just don't listen. Just don't listen to others. Just do what you got to do. That's yeah. It's a tough life. Seems like it. And yeah. So I think thank thanks so much for joining us today and making the time to speak speak to us. We, we awesome. had a had a lot yeah. of fun talking to you. Cool. Awesome. awesome. Thank thanks you. So much. Art of Impact is co-hosted by myself, Talal Fahum, and Angad Arneja. Behind production and occasional co-host is Tate Claggett. Our director of marketing is Max Bayevsky, and our music is produced by Pranav Vedyanathan. Thank you for listening, and see you soon.